0: Caledonian McBrain and The Big Light present...
1: Faltje, I'm Kanyak McLeod, the Hebridean baker. Originally from the Isle of Lewis, I'm an author, TV presenter and travel blogger. I spend lots of time traveling around the world, discovering amazing places and the people who live there. But my favorite place is home, the Hebrides, making me your perfect guide to the very best things to do, see, eat, and enjoy throughout these incredible islands. Welcome to Scottish Island Adventures. Famous for incredible mountain ranges and breathtaking scenery, it's one of the top visitor destinations in Scotland for hill walking and other outdoor pursuits. Home to the MacLeod and MacDonald clans, the island is rich in history and culture. And the capital, Port 3, is a bustling town with fantastic shopping opportunities. And the island is filled with great places to eat. Coming up... I get under the skin of an incredible sky-based luxury homeware brand that specialises in one of the oldest crafts known to man. I visit the best brunch spot on the island that started life in London. And I meet a contemporary landscape artist who immerses herself in the natural environments of the Hebrides in all weathers to produce her dynamic work. But first, she's just come down from the Isle of Skye. She's not very big, but definitely not shy. I'm (laughs) delighted to be joined in the studio by Gaelic broadcaster and BBC weather presenter, Sarah Cruikshank. Sarah, great to see you. How are you?
2: I'm well, thank you, Connach. Nice to meet you finally, too. It
1: does feel like that. I feel like we must have had ships passing in the night all these years.
2: Definitely. I'm a little bit starstruck, if I'm honest, (laughs) because I am used to looking at your Instagram and seeing what lovely baking delights you have that I could possibly try and emulate myself. But um, not today. Not today.
1: We're here together. We are. (laughs) Now, Sarah, you're a proud islander and from the island of Skye. What makes the island such a draw from visitors across the world?
2: I think that it's just the kind of place that's got everything. It really does. It's, it's accessible. You don't have to wait for ferries to get to this one island, I guess. <laughs> you can get there and you can go for the day. You can go for a week. It's got everything you could possibly need in one place really hasn't it, it's got beautiful scenery, it's It's got as you've mentioned, the food the food scene in Sky has just exploded and there's so many great places to eat and it's got everything else as well, it's got beaches I mean Staffan Beach, there's no other place for my kids to go during the summer holidays other than to Staffan Beach, it's phenomenal and then you've got Gaelic culture, you've got Cayleys, you've got great music from musicians from the island as well, I think that it's got a bit of everything, hasn't it? You're
1: making it? me jealous. I, th- I <laughs> thought Lewis was, was good, but uh, maybe Sky might beat it. You, you can persuade me through the episode. Now, we come from a kind of similar background. Both our families uh, were kind of crofting families, and you were brought up uh, on a croft like myself. What was life like growing up in the croft on Sky?
2: It was good fun. It was hard work. I can remember many times having to muck out the buyer from the cows being in <laughs> over the winter. And myself and my siblings would all take part in all these things that we would have to do. We'd cut the peats as well during the summer. Mum and Dad always had hens and cows laterally, but they did have sheep as well. I, I don't really remember so much about the sheep, but um, they definitely did always have animals of some kind.
1: Traveling through Scotland, you cannot fail to notice the hundreds of thousands of native sheep covering our heather-clad hills. These hardy animals have been a source of food, milk and clothing for thousands of years. And the tradition of cultivating sheep for their wool is being very much kept alive by an enterprising family based in Watanish on Skye. I've just driven the windy road to Waternish on the west coast of the Isle of Skye and I've just arrived at Skyskins. Oh, Falchagess, give it a how. Hi,
3: Gamal. Great
1: to okay, see you. great
3: to see you. Welcome.
1: This is my first time in Waternish. What a beautiful village it is. Oh,
3: we are very lucky. The heart of our business really is here in Waternish uh, with the tannery and the five star visitor attraction.
1: Well, I can't wait for a wee, a wee visit in Akele. So, shall we go in? Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> So where, where are we now, Jess?
3: So you've come into our uh, working tannery. Uh, you can see just from a quick look around that we've got some very old-fashioned machinery.
1: How did Skyskins all begin?
3: So uh, my mum and dad were crofting here back in the 80s and in those days uh, they were raising sheep uh, predominantly for meat. Crofting uh, traditionally, you know, would have been small-scale farming here in the Highlands and Islands. Um, with, I mean here predominantly sheep, but there would also be sort of a bit of arable and crop produced as well. So the skins from their croft and from all the uh, island crofts actually were just being sent to landfill and my mum and dad felt that there might be something better to be done with them and they were being encouraged to diversify by the Crofters Commission then as well. So yeah, so he went away to Northampton and learnt all the skills and the craft and the chemistry there and came back and uh, had a go. <laughs> oh. Back in the day when we were, you know, it was just the wee family tanning, we would sometimes be sanding down the backs of sheepskins on the front doorstep or they'd be stored in our bedroom cupboards. (laughs) (laughs) As all we family business begin, it was sort of um, very involved. But uh, the door was always open for people to come in and learn a little bit about the the skills and the history and the story of leather. Um, And we still do that today. So we still encourage people to come in and enjoy a guided tour of the workshop and hear the story.
1: Tell us the process from when you get the, um, the skins to when they're in the shop.
3: So when we begin the processing uh, on site we bring the raw skins down from our store and we pop them into this big paddle over here.
1: I was wondering what this was.
3: Yeah, come on over and have a look. The paddle was built by a boat building friend of my dad's. Actually, here on site.
1: I can see that. I got a look of a boat about it. Yes. Uh-huh.
3: So they're just in there uh, overnight, really, and then we'll come in the next morning and whisk uh, them out of there. Fill up the paddle with hot water and soap, pop them back in, and then the hot water starts to break down some of the fat on the back of the skin and draw out some of the oils. So starts to pull that out and prepares them for one of the key parts of the process. Okay. Um, and that happens over here on this wooden beam. Uh-huh.
1: So,
3: like, we throw the the wet skin onto. Uh-huh. We then take our curved blade and um, scrape down the back of the skin and start to really take off anything that's left on there. Um, it's pretty physical, it's yeah. quite a full-on day. Uh, fleshing day, we call it fleshing. Um, so you're removing anything from the back but at the same time being very careful not to twist the blade because you can end up putting a hole through the skin, the benefit of doing it by hand is that you end up with a lovely, thick, durable leather on the back of the sheepskin at the end. So next bath um, is the key, the magic bath. It's the tanning bath. So we've actually moved over to tree bark tanning, which uh, is—it's almost like we step back in time to move forwards, ecologically speaking. So after the tanning, when you see a complete change in the structure of the skin, it swells up and becomes that lovely thick leather. Um, they're then oiled and ready for drying. I'll just open the door so you can have a peek in and see them hung out on the racks here. And um, before they come in, they're ho- toggled up on tender hook toggles and then stretched oh, wow. out on the racks.
1: Like there's a real kind of Smokiness! I'll
3: just shut the door actually to keep the heat in. <laughs> yeah, there's we'll... some heat in there actually. <laughs> That's the smell of the leather that you're getting there, lovely smoky, smoky smell. They'll come out of there fairly rigid, rock solid like boards almost. Um, if you tap them they sound a bit like a drum, <laughs> So because um, uh, they've been hung tight on, on the racks there. So the next stage for us will be softening. It's a large uh, barrel uh, looks a bit like a giant tumble dryer, but made of wood. It does, yeah. They, those ledgers will just pick the skins up, carry them up to the top, and they'll fall back down. We're now going to finish the leather off. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got yeah. our big granite buffing wheel here so it spins about a thousand revs a minute when it's up to speed and uh, it strips off this top layer Uh and brings up lovely soft suede leather
1: finish Okay. Right, so basically all those processes were about the skin and the leather to this point. Right, okay.
3: So we come over to the combing table first with the skins and um, run them through this machine. So
1: literally it's just getting combed by... A million wee combs at the same time.
3: Exactly that. Really handy. Uh, if you could put the dog through it, wouldn't it? But <laughs> you can't. Uh, so it comb, combs everything out, takes out any sort of... That's anything oh, that's left wow. in it. Oh, I
1: can What a difference it's making, just even in that... 20 seconds or so?
3: Yeah, so it really separates out all the, the wee strands. And you can see, if you look down into the depth of this wool, you see that lovely crimp there. Yeah, yeah. You've got a lovely crimpy wool in the base. That's always what we're looking for when we're making sheepskins. There's occasionally wee twigs and things stuck in there from uh, croff life. And so that'll all be taken out at this stage. The very final thing we do with the wool uh, is to iron it. And we spray a natural sort of almost lanolin spray back into the wool again, and it works like a conditioner for your hair. It softens it up at the end. So they'll get fed into this machine, pressed up against the, the barrel, and the heat will just melt that conditioner through the wool, and you end up with a lovely soft, smooth, silky oh, texture at the end. Amazing. So ready no, it's ready beautiful. to snuggle.
1: Beautiful. Would it be okay to go up and, and see the sheep? Yeah, of course, let's oh, go. Oh, come on. <laughs>
3: So, we're just coming into one of the crops here. Come and have a look at our sheep over this way.
1: I can see them. And your wee collie, she looks ready to go.
3: She's very much poised and ready for action. Always keeping an eye on the sheep and ready to herd whenever she gets the opportunity.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Jess, it looks like Flo and Ben have done a good job collecting the sheep.
3: They have, they're coming up towards us now. So you can see we've got predominantly um, Hebridean ewes. Um, They're quite small and uh, compact. They're more goat-like almost than sheep-like. And uh, traditionally they were obviously the breed of choice up here because they could navigate the wild terrain of Skye or or the highlands as a whole. There's really low maintenance, low input uh, sheep actually, but uh, fantastic mums as well. You can see they're all keeping
0: their lands close there.
1: Well, Jess, I've seen the sheep, but I'm feeling a wee bit peckish. And I saw that you've got a cafe uh, just here as well. So, a yurt cafe.
3: We do, yeah. We wee cafe in a yurt. Let's go get a cafe.
1: Golly Okay, come on. Sarah, what, what a treat to go up to Waternish to see Jess and the team at Skyskins. I, I, I find it so difficult not to buy the whole shop. It's such a such a wonderful place.
2: It is. It's phenomenal. I've got a Skyskins rug that was gifted to me by my mum and dad, and then the obsession starts.
1: It does.
2: Because you see how nice it is and how beautiful it looks in for every room you stick it in. And then when the kids were born, somebody said to me that it's useful to them to have sheepskin underneath them it's a lambskin actually you can buy and it helps them not be as likely to develop allergies etc and so I did it because my, my brother had a history of allergies so I thought well let's go for it wow. so they and they both still sleep on their sky skins lamb skins even at 10 and 6. Oh my
1: goodness that's amazing and I have to say I did pop into the shop uh, when I was there I saw the cutest hot water bottle. It was the it was the hottest day I think ever on Sky <laughs> but when I saw the hot water bottle I thought I have to get that. I actually can't wait for winter just so I can... So
2: <laughs> you'll be able to use it.
1: Exactly.
2: What does it look like?
1: It looks like a big spot on.
2: <laughs> Amazing. Well, can't wait to see that going up on your Instagram when, you when, when winter comes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so for more information and how to plan your visit or to order online go to skyskins.co.uk Every Scottish island on your bucket list, every sunrise, every waterfall, every bird song, every seashell, every stroll along the edge of the world, every new friend you make,
4: every dance, every drum, every downpour, every crackling campfire, every sparkling night sky,
1: every feast under harbour lights, and every photo under that red, CalMAC funnel. Every moment, every memory, every journey starts a story. And you can start yours at calmac.co.uk. Tiny Changes is Scotland's national young people's mental health charity. Since 2019, Tiny Changes has helped over 4,000 young minds across Scotland feel better. The charity was set up in memory of artist and frightened rabbit frontman Scott Hutchison. Through his music and art, Scott made tiny changes that had a big impact. His honesty and openness about his own mental health inspired people from all walks of life. The team behind Tiny Changes believes that Scotland's young people deserve great mental health. For more information and to donate today, visit tinychanges.com.
3: Max Adventure Experts in self guided walking and cycling holidays. You choose your route, your departure date, and who you travel with. We do the rest. Includes hassle-free luggage transfers, hand-picked accommodations, easy navigation, and 24-7 support. Let us do the legwork so you can put the miles in. This is active travel led by you. Begin your journey at maxadventure.com.
1: Now, Sarah, I've always got my walking boots packed when I get on the ferry from Tarbert over to Uig and Skye. What's your favourite hike on the island?
2: Well, it's pretty hard to choose, isn't it? There's <laughs> it so, there are so many places to walk in Skye. But usually when I'm up in the summertime, it is so busy that we have to stick with North End. So there might well be 12 Munros that you could climb. yeah. But I think... My most recent favourite is probably Bainitra. Oh, I love Uh Bainitra. Great for
1: families, though, as well, that, wasn't it? It
2: it is. We had to have a local guide in my mum with us (laughs) because I don't think we would have made it otherwise because I think you kind of need to know where you're going. And she did. So she came with us. In fact, the whole family came with us. And it was. It was really good. It's not too difficult. It's, you know, reasonably flat until a certain point. It's boggy. So you definitely need walking boots or wellies, uh, or, wellies or something wellies, yeah. to make sure that <laughs> you're not going under.
1: But it is one of the great things about Sky. It, you can go for a, a wee stroll and then some real big adventures up, up to the Munros, can't you?
2: Absolutely, yes, you can pick and choose. For me, I'm definitely more the short and sweet, <laughs> just for the fact that I have two young kids, usually in tow. So I do choose something that's you know doable in a few hours or in... Less than a day, I would say. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and you've got the, I think you call them as the black coolants and the red coolants, is that right? That's
2: right. Uh, The black coolants and the red coolants are very apparent when you're driving from the north end of sky. Um, as you're heading heading south through Sky, it's really clear. The the colours of them are really clear as you're driving through, and it's and they actually look quite different in okay. term in terms of their structure too. It's really yeah, fascinating actually. Amazing.
1: And what's better after a hike than a bite to eat? <laughs> if I was coming round for dinner, Sarah, at your house. What would be on the menu?
2: Hold on a minute. You're, you're coming round <laughs> to Irish for dinner and you're not cooking. Well, hold on. <laughs> Pressure's on. But um, if we're in Sky, we're, we'd be at Mum's. So yes. I reckon that Mum would probably have some minced potatoes on. Oh, that's great. and tatties. That
1: sends the dream.
2: They are, it's a top favourite. It's something I don't really make at home, but she's always got minced and tatties on at some point during I the holidays. Think,
1: I think after a hike in the Coolins, that would be. That would be the perfect meal.
2: Definitely. And especially <laughs> if the potatoes have just been picked in the croft, which actually we did on our last day in Sky. And there's something so much better about potatoes that you've picked yourself, even though I didn't grow them, <laughs> mum grew them, <laughs> but they do taste phenomenal.
1: Well, I always think one of the best ways to get to know a place is by eating dishes inspired by locally sourced produce prepared by passionate people who just love what they do. And that's exactly what Café Cole in the idyllic setting of Carbost is all about. Recently, I was lucky enough to meet up with award-winning chef and owner Claire Coghill, who blew me away with her refreshing take on brunch. just arrived, sun shining, birds are singing, and I'm off for a delicious brunch. Hi Claire, Hi
0: Claire, what a
1: place you have here. I mean, the the story of how this came about, I can't wait to hear it, because you were in London, is that right, first?
0: Yes, absolutely. So, I was born and bred on Skye, grew up here, and actually grew up in a hotel not too many miles away from here and I was taken down to London to work in television and when I was down there I realized that I didn't have a great deal of access to Scottish cuisine things that I missed like square sausage tatty scones and iron brew so I thought why not use my cooking skills and experience to try and open my own Scottish cafe down in the heart of East London in Hackney I started that about five weeks before the pandemic hit so it wasn't exactly Uh it wasn't the best of timing however the experience that i gained from opening the scottish cafe down there it was incredible one of my famous dishes that came out of the hackney experience was the tatty scone stack which was hand rolled tatty scones square sausage Stornoway black pudding and a crispy fried egg on top. That sounds a dream. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And I think it caught the hearts of quite a few people down there.
1: Amazing. The cafe, it's got this huge, big, expanse of windows and and views. So tell us a wee bit about where the cafe is.
0: Yeah, so Cafe Cool is based on the Minganish Peninsula on the western side of the Isle of Skye. We're about five minutes' drive from the famous Fairy Pools. Kalisker Distillery is also just a stone's throw away. So in terms of the island, we've got quite a concentrated area of fantastic places to visit.
1: Now, cool is a Gaelic word. What does it mean?
0: Yes, Café Cool, so C-U-I-L, is Gaelic for noost, nest or cosy space, somewhere where people can... Get cozy, feel welcome, and feel like they're tucked in a wee nest.
1: We're in the corner of the cafe right now, and I'm surrounded with these lovely, furry, kind of sheepskins. And I mean, Gaelic seems quite central to the kind of even visually what you're doing here.
0: For me, Gaelic is an important part of my identity and the cafe's identity. It's something that I think that Gaelic speakers in the Highlands and Islands. If you have Gaelic or you're passionate about the language, you need to do your bit to promote it. I do try to encourage people to come to the cafe, speak it, and some of my staff encourage customers to speak with them.
1: Now, I'm sitting here looking at the brunch menu and... It's making my mouth water, actually. I don't know which one to talk about first, but tell me a little bit about the, the pancakes you've got.
0: Absolutely. So we have a Scotch pancakes dish, and each season I change the toppings of the pancakes. However, one constant remains, which is our gorse flour mascarpone. On a sometimes daily basis, I go out just a few stones throw away from the cafe and hand-pick the gorse myself.
1: And that's that beautiful vibrant yellow flower, isn't it? The islands and the west coast is just filled with this, you know, through the early part of the season.
0: It's absolutely incredible, the gorse flower. Once you've spotted it once, it's really hard to miss. (laughs) So it is this bright yellow flower and if you can get your nose close enough without getting pricked by the the stingers it's um it's got this wonderful coconutty multi aroma yeah
1: it's so distinct do you think you've always had a connection to food and the outdoors and the landscapes of Skye
0: well growing up on Skye a lot of time was spent if my parents were working the hotel a lot of time was spent just exploring the land around me picking things like bog myrtle gorse, wild garlic and creating recipes from a young age and in recent years I decided to try and dive for my own scallops which was is an incredible experience and so rewarding to get into the water, hand dive my own scallops, shuck them myself and then put them on a dish. There's nothing better than that.
1: Um, Hand diving is a very sustainable way particularly for for scallops isn't it? You're taking what you need there's no kind of dredging or anything like that. So it is a great way to keep it sustainable, isn't it?
0: There's very little that goes into my kitchen where I don't know where it's sourced from. Doing things like hand-diving techniques is so important to the thriving of these ingredients and produce in our waters, and we should be proud, and we should do what we can to keep it thriving.
1: Claire, how do you feel about the food culture um, in the islands, you know, I feel there's been quite a change. You know, certainly coming from Lewis, there wasn't the contrast of maybe having the, the food truck all the way to the premium restaurant, but that's changed over these past few years.
0: I think that the, the food scene on the islands, I'll take Sky for example, as I know it better than any of the other ones, is absolutely incredible. Two or three years ago, Sky had more Michelin stars than Manchester and Liverpool combined. And that is down to the produce and the ingredients that we have here on the island. And I think the residents are really proud of that. Yes. The Highlands and Islands are becoming quite a foodie destination and we do compete with some of the top restaurants in London.
1: Claire, I'm hearing all the noises from the kitchen. Can we have a wee look in and see what they're preparing to snow?
0: Absolutely, let's go and see what's happening.
1: Now look at that straight away, I'm seeing the gorse flour. So what's that going to be used for today?
0: If you come a bit further forward, we're going to go into the baking section where Fiona is making a fresh batch of gorse flapjacks.
1: <laughs> Hello Fiona, you're working hard. <laughs> yes. What have you got there? It's the gorse flapjack.
3: Gorgeous smells of coconut and taste of coconut as well.
0: So it just enhances that, that coconut
1: flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Just pack that up. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Claire, the first guests of the day, arriving at the cafe. So I'm going to make sure that I get to the front of the cube because after seeing the flapjack coming out warm from the oven, I'm going to grab a slice, get a cup of coffee, and take in the spectacular views outside the cafe. Time for so great to catch up.
0: Thank you so much, I really enjoyed it.
1: Sarah, I'm usually on the sofa when you appear on my telly telling me what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. But what's your favourite time of year on the island?
2: I think I'm torn with this one, kind of uh, to be honest. It's really hard to pick because I obviously love being there in the summertime Yes. because you're generally, I mean, I say this <laughs> with a pinch of salt because actually you don't always get great weather. You do tend <laughs> to get better weather when we're up in the summertime. Yeah. But I also really love going up to Skye at the other end of the year. October is really nice, but we always go up after New Year as well Okay. for a wee while. And that's really nice because it's so much quieter. it feels more like the place that I grew up because it it's not got quite as many tourists around. I guess the days are shorter. there's something kind of cozy in it that is. as well. And, isn't and there? I,
1: I wonder because the days are a wee bit shorter, you take advantage of the light a bit more because yeah, you
2: make the most of you it. you make
1: the most of it. yeah. yeah.
2: And so yes there's something really nice about going home at that time of year. As well, and it it doesn't take away from the fact that the summer is great and it's bustling and it's busy and there's something great about that too. But there's something really nice about going home and kind of currying in like you were talking about in the cafe. There's something really nice about being cosy if the weather's really bad outside. And I don't mind it if it's raining and it's really windy as long as you've got somewhere nice and cosy to be (laughs) whilst it's windy and rainy outside. So yeah, I think that both ends of the year have their... I'm totally with you.
1: I love the winter and I love the big dark skies that you get on Sky. And a great place for Northern Lights spotting as well, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. It's the only place I've ever seen the Northern Lights. Really? It is. It's, it can be much harder to see, obviously, the further south you are. So Sky Is definitely one of the best places to see it. The the problem is finding the clear sky (laughs) in the wintertime, but it does happen and it's phenomenal when it does happen as well.
1: Well, sky, like lots of places in Scotland, can have four seasons in one day and the weather really dictates how the island looks and feels. Contemporary landscape artist Ellis O'Connor likes nothing better than immersing herself in the natural habitat of her surroundings. Responding to whatever the elements throw it at her I've just arrived in the wee village of Drumfern on the Isle of Skye and I've been invited to the home of artist Ellis O'Connor. Falcha Ellis. How are you today?
4: I'm really good. I'm enjoying all of this beautiful sunshine.
1: And Ellis... It's not the first Hebridean island you've lived in.
4: Yeah, so I lived in the Outer Hebrides for just under four years. I was in North East and then made the decision to leave there through the winter lockdown. And then for two years, I was travelling around quite a lot and living quite nomadically. And then made the decision last year to start looking for my first home, which has then brought me to the Isle of Skye.
1: And Ellis, let's talk about your work, because you're a landscape artist. hmm
4: yeah, um, I'm a predominantly an oil painter. That's, that's what I really love to work in that medium now. I find it really tactile and I love working in layers and textures and things like that. And I normally work on quite large scale canvases. So painting is what I love because it's really physical. My natural style is very expressive and gestural. Like, I love making a mess. I don't have a lot of patience. I don't like doing detailed paintings. (laughs) It's very, like, what comes out of me gets onto the canvas and it can be very gestural. um, And I'm so fascinated with the light here.
1: When I look at your art, I see a lot of maybe winter. Is that something that you reflect on? Is that something that I've caught right?
4: Yeah, definitely. I actually... I'm going to be really honest, these past six weeks, with it being so warm and sunny here in Sky, I've not felt inspired to paint at all. Like, I don't really want to paint when it's like this, I just want to be outside. Mm -hmm. The winter for me feels much more introverted, things slow down. I really go inward so much more, and my work is very personal, and from within, it's not photo representational. So the winter for me is all about slowing down and then allowing those paintings to come out of me. Whereas in the summer, that's really when I spend a lot more time traveling around and like soaking up inspiration and meeting people. And I run a lot of art workshops in the summer.
1: Because people can come to to visit you at your studio.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I've got a little workshop joined onto my cottage. It's very much work in progress at the moment because I've only been here for a little while. But yeah, it's a place where I can create my paintings. And yeah, people are more than welcome to visit, of course, by appointment, because I'm not here all the time if I'm travelling around or have an exhibition on. But yeah, people can come and visit.
1: Ellis, I know you mentioned that your Wii studio is a bit of a work in progress, but I'd love to visit and just have a look at some of your art. Could I do that? Yes. Come on, let's go.
4: Okay. There's a lot of canvases stacked up. There's a lot of... Oil paintings, lots of tubes of oil paint that are I love this. Like they're and... all,
1: <laughs> the, nearly the the, the tubes are, are art installations in themselves. They yes. look amazing. So when you come into the studio, when are you ready to paint?
4: I know it mentally in my head. Sometimes in my brain, I can have like, it almost feels like a hundred tabs are open in my head and there's so much going on and I'm a very passionate, quite intense person. So I feel like that's quite a stereotype when you're a narcissist, if I'm honest. (laughs) So then I have all these ideas, and then it's when I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I think I actually just need to paint now. Because when I paint, I go into this meditative state. It's such an amazing outlet for me. It's been the best form of therapy for me, if I'm honest, over the years. And it's how I make sense of the world overall. And when I paint, I don't think about anything. You know, I can be in a flow state for hours, and I come out of it, and then I'm like, oh, I'm really hungry. For me, I want to spend a lot of time outdoors in the landscape and soaking up the environment and and being immersed in some dramatic weather, especially when it's elemental, and then remember that feeling and then allow that to process in my head and then go back to the studio and then it comes out. So it's almost like a, a remembered memory of being outside in a landscape that comes across in my work. So it's much more personal and emotional and authentic to me So I think overall, I want people to feel moved by the work. Yeah, there's many ways in which I feel inspired here in Skye. Like I spend a lot of time swimming in the outdoors here. So I'll meet up with different women here in the island and uh, we'll go swimming together. And there's so many places to do that here that are actually very quiet, away from any tourism or anything like that. And that really informs my work as well, being in place and The variation of the landscape here, I I have a little van, so I'll spend a lot of time, say, travelling up to the north of the island, which feels a lot more Jurassic compared to Slate where I am, which feels a bit more fertile, but still really dramatic. Or I'll go over to the west side, where there's a lot more of that on the edge feeling, where you look out to the islands and everything feels a bit more heightened out there because you're on the edge. And so I feel like there's all so many different landscapes and sky and it's such a big place and so gigantic that there's many different ways in which it inspires me from the mountains to the sea to the pools to the forests you know it all combines so it's never just about one place in particular it's more like a thousand memories or a thousand scenes in my head from what I've seen that then combine onto the canvas in one way or another. I want people to feel challenged by my work I want people to Look at the landscapes that are within my work and feel emotional by looking at them or feel uh, a bit more like they want to sit with the work a bit more. They're not sure what they see, so it maybe makes them slow down a bit more and reflect on what they see.
1: Now, Alice, when people are coming to visit Sky, how can they get in touch with you?
4: Yeah, people can get in touch with me by going onto my website. I stock my prints in local places in Skye, but if people wanted to come and meet me and see a bit more about my process, then yeah, they can send me an email or go through Instagram, which is Ellis O'Connor. And if I'm in the island, then I'd be more than welcome um, for them to come and see my work here.
1: Ellis, I'm in awe. I'll be honest with you, I'm so inspired and motivated by what you do here. Thanks so much for inviting us in to see your studio.
4: Thank you so much for visiting.
1: Sarah, wasn't it brilliant hearing from an artist who's so inspired by where she lives? I mean, there are so many creative folk living on the island. What do you think is the draw for them?
2: I think Ellis possibly covered that with the fact that it's peaceful. It's got such a variety of landscape from which she can draw her inspiration. Um, it's got the weather. It's got something for everybody, I think. And she, she really summed that up really nicely, didn't she? Yeah,
1: I mean, but it's everything from artists to uh, musicians. There's, there's everything that would draw and interest people when they get there.
2: Absolutely. And you can see why so many great things come out of Sky in terms of music and art and all the creative industries as well. You know, it is, it's phenomenal actually to see that the place can actually contribute to something so creative. It's phenomenal.
1: Our time on Sky is almost up, Sarah. But if you were advising travellers on one last thing they simply must do when visiting the island, what would that be?
2: I find this really hard. <laughs> I think when you're from somewhere, it's always more difficult to advise people who are just going to visit. But um, I think I've got I've got three. Okay, three. I think, uh-huh. I think I've got three. I think one of the must tries are local shellfish caught yes. by somebody that day. Amazing.
1: I love that idea.
2: Walk somewhere, doesn't matter where. Make sure you get out of your car and walk somewhere on Sky because it is so beautiful. And just to breathe in the fresh air, it's really nice and the third one would be find a local to speak to
1: i love it and ask them yes.
2: questions about where they're from or how they grew up people have always got great stories to tell great stories in these places right.
1: yeah i love that i love that well that's all from this episode i hope you enjoyed it please subscribe like rate review and share with your friends For show notes and more information on this and all my other island destinations, plus full details on Caledonian McBrain's routes, timetables, prices and bookings, go to calmac.co.uk. Every journey starts a story. So book your Caledonian McBrain island adventure now. From the Big Light Studio...